This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? Well, going very well indeed. It's always That's nice so out nice. here. It is much the same here, actually. It's just kind of, I love this time of year, Sam, where everything is so bright. And who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce our 310th person uh, to be interviewed, Tess Trotter. Uh, Tess described herself uh, as working in the communications industry and in community stuff. And after talking to her for a little while, I have named her a storyteller. So it is a great pleasure to have you with us today, Tess. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Oh, kia ora. Thank you so much for having me. Kia ora, Tess. Where are you, Tess? I am in Otipoti. Um, I'm in Northeast Valley, um, which is a fantastic little community, but I actually grew up in Soyuz Bay, so how about that? That would be a very nice place to grow up. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Where in Soyuz Bay? Uh, the very top of Hall Road. We had um, about six acres, and I had a pony and um, chickens and all the things. And ironically, actually, in my bubble just over the last couple of days, I've been actually chasing a chook around my new house. <laughs> um, but she's finally back with her friends this morning. <laughs> I did some very nice walks up through Graham's Bush during various lockdowns. It's quite steep, bet, though. Yeah, that's right where we backed onto. So I played around there a lot when I was a child. So how was your bubble life? I have to clarify that now, of course. How was your first bubble life last year? I um <clears throat> I embraced it. Um it was pretty intense for me. I was working um at the time I was working for our local community center and so there was a lot to do and a lot of um figuring out and talking to lots of people and trying to I guess ascertain how best to communicate with each other and how we could keep our spirits up and all of that kind of stuff. But on a personal level, it was pretty intense as well, and it um, was a catalyst for quite a lot of change for me. Was that the Valley Project? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. So how did the the community respond? Did, did you see some positive community responses? To be honest, I can't really think of many negative community responses, but a whole lot of positive ones. Um it was interesting because I guess, you know, when we talk about bubbles, um, it was hard not to feel like you were in a little bit of a internet bubble in a way. And I did worry sometimes about how we were 
reaching or how, or how other people that weren't so um, techy were, um, I guess, clicking in. But what we found is that people were leaving notes for their neighbours and doing shopping. And um, there was a real natural ripple effect of like the classic phone tree kind of situation that happened in our community. And it was so cool to facilitate and just see and hear little bits. And then also just generally in the physical environment, people really got out there and the birds were singing and, you know, there was some real positive, um, reflective moments, I think, for lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's been quite the same since, right? (laughs) We remarked at the time that it was interesting how by telling us that the thing that we couldn't do was get together as community really reinforced to us how much that mattered to us. We've perhaps taken it for granted. Yep, absolutely. And I think it also really showed the way in which it comes out in every little day things um, that people suddenly really wanted to do. Um, What we found like after the lockdown period for the Valley Project was way more people wanting to connect. Lots of people had changed their lifestyles so they were keen to get involved or they had questions about the things that were local because they'd been looking at things in a different way. So there was like heaps of positive stuff that came out of that too. Some amazing volunteers that had decided to give up their day jobs, but then wanted to do something else, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And how did the community respond over the last year? So after their first lockdown, do you think it's that strengthened community persisted? Yes, I do. I also think that it has played out in ways that were really hard to anticipate. So when the mahi that you're doing is community-led, the whole concept is to help people identify what they want to do, what their strengths are, what the challenges are, and support them to do it. And what we kind of found post-COVID was that, that there was a lot of trying to anticipate what some of the challenges might be based on our prior knowledge, I guess, and also based on what the government was saying they thought were concern areas. And I know it was just a different way to approach things. And it just kept changing. And the other big, one of the big philosophies about community-led change is flexibility and being adaptive and, and, you know, letting things kind of go on their own journeys. But um, I think post-COVID, it was just like that almost on a daily basis sometimes, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I definitely think that lots and lots of people, even for us with our local business community, um, you see everyone supporting each other, but just heaps of people getting on board and um, lots of people just kind of staying closer to home, I guess, you know, and seeing what's just around the corner and wanting to, um, yeah, wanting to support, especially economically, I think, like, it's one way that people feel like they might have a wee bit of agency. Um, but the flip side of that, of course, is the other thing that we saw through COVID was the incredible amount of need, particularly around housing and um, the need for more kai in our community. So sounds like, kind of like a bit of a contradiction, but you see um, both of those things happening at once. Yeah. Now, did you say that's where you used to work? Where have you gone now? So I've just recently moved to starting to work for an organisation called Inspiring Communities. So it's still in the community-led space, but um, I have a much more specific role, which is around the communication. So I get to tell the stories of all kinds of different little community centres all over um, the country. And um, 
also just support the training and kind of advocacy that um, Inspiring Communities does um, to help people kind of see a new way of doing things. And I think especially now that idea of building flexibility and being adaptive into how you approach something is kind of even more important. And what's kind of cool for me is it's a big change to doing a job, but from home um, over the internet with lots of people from all over the country, which didn't really necessarily seem like a likely thing to happen, I suppose, um, 12 months ago, even, and particularly before that, yeah. I want to hear more about inspiring communities, but let's take first, the first of your music choices. Let's have Leonard Cohen anthem. Why this one? Well, um, I was thinking since there was two songs, I might go for like an older favourite and a newer favourite. And I mean, this is a big song. It's called Anthem for a reason, <laughs> right? Um, and um, I guess for me, Leonard Cohen is um, someone, well, was someone much older than me that's been around my whole life. And this song really represents ideas about things not necessarily being perfect, um, but that idea that we have to still kind of take some personal responsibility in some ways. Um, but yeah, also I guess I chose it just because it's a really um, heartfelt song. It gives me the feels, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My 11-year-old Jack is a huge Leonard Cohen fan, um, fan um, and it's kind of cool to have kids who are listening to Leonard Cohen, hey? I reckon, well, yeah, he was a total... Um, like I was a fan since childhood and I have been lucky enough to get to see him twice, which is pretty special. Um, I'm not a huge concert fan, but he puts on a hell of a show, hey? <laughs> Of 
So Tess, you've moved to Inspiring Communities. What's Inspiring Communities about? Now, I must say that we have a bit of an insight that be- here because Mawera and I work with Maggie Jean Malcolm. 
Yeah. So what attracted you? What attracted you there? Well, I mean, it's a kind of a funny thing because I had actually just decided to leave my job and have a bit of a break for a while. And I think it was maybe the day after two different friends sent me the um, information about this role. And that seemed like a bit of a coincidence. Um, And I've always known about inspiring communities. And it just appeals to me so much to work on more of a national level. Like I really felt like I was ready to do something other than all the doing all the time and kind of being that adult in charge that answers every call and has all the keys and jumps into every crisis <laughs> yeah so it was just a really cool way to shift for me to do something that i've always loved to do um it's a chance to do a bit more journalism which is something that's um really appealing to me so all around it's pretty exciting and they're super cool and i have real um, belief and faith in the simplicity and the awesomeness of community-led principles. So it just makes sense to try and help elevate them, I guess, you know? Yeah. That's a long-winded answer. <laughs> Do you think that we're seeing that community-led, not just the community responses, but the community-led in a sort of an organised way, has that stepped up during the second second round of lockdown, second round, round of bubbles? I think it has in some respects. Like from my observation, for example, I'm seeing a lot of iwi and hapu-led organisations really take the lead, um, and especially around healthcare stuff. Um, and I see them talking about that a lot more, um, sometimes really talking about the challenges, but I'm also seeing lots of stories celebrating the amazing successes there. And I think we are in a space where local and central government are starting to clue on to the, I guess they're being, they're able to see some, what they would describe as measurable outcomes from some community led mahi. And so it provides it some extra reassurance to them that um, those principles are working. And I guess the idea behind inspiring communities is to provide some professional development offerings to people, for example, in local and um, central government to see how, why and how those things work, you know, tell those stories. So I'm definitely seeing that. I think you also see, like in smaller communities, people just getting on and doing stuff. There's quite a lot more of that going on which is pretty awesome yeah i don't want to put you on the spot and expect you to recite all of the community-led principles but (laughs) what sort of things are we talking about okay so um i could tell you some of my ones since i don't (laughs) want to um put myself out um reciting any wrong but um do you know what number one for me is kai first and foremost which um might seem like a really simple thing but I think if you look at for yourself personally, but also in all kinds of circumstances you might be in, kai on the table and the idea of having um, generosity, hospitality, manakitanga, whatever you want to call it, it's a thread that runs through so many successful endeavours and ways that people join together. Um, another one is like I've talked about, that idea of being um, flexible and adaptable, understanding that things change. Another is the concept of learning by doing. So just getting on with doing things. Sometimes 
um, in groups or committees or um, what have you, we can do some great talk fests. You know, you hear people say, oh, you know, more doey, less hooey. And it, talking about things isn't a bad thing at all. But when people come together and just give something a go, you know, like in a community garden or, or that kind of context, there's so much you can learn by doing and learn from one another, right? And I think there's something that's quite, um, it's quite um, disarming, but reassuring if you're in a context with other people and you're all learning together, you know, like um, in, in lots of different situations, whether it's um, singing or language or gardening or taking that step to try and go and learn how to use a computer because the world's going online and you're going to have to get used to sitting in front of a camera if you want to go to a job interview. Yeah. Um, just can't, sometimes you just got to do it. Mm. Even though it's scary. <laughs> Where do you think the community response sits on the, the sort of the continuum of the think global, act local um, continuum, but also the uh, one of the things that always um, interests me is that whether or not little things add up to make a difference, or or do we need to be looking for for multipliers and and, and things that can really work as, as system change? <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to think the community is the sweet spot in there, but I'd like to hear if that's something that you would feel. Yeah, it's a complicated one. I mean, I think there's a couple of things about that. Little things do make a difference individually, right? Like I know if I'm having a really bad day, sometimes I have to set myself one little goal, even if it's going to the mailbox or whatever it is, just to get over the hump, right? And collectively little things um, help us support one another. But we know it's not enough because we haven't seen enough change to do the things that we want to see in the future. So... It's it's a hard one, but I think they build on one another too. Um, there's just no one great answer, I don't think. But if we don't do anything, right? And um, positivity is really important. Like I'm a mum, I've got a nine-year-old daughter, and I've had times when she can't get to sleep because she's imagining the sea rising up, you know? And so there are times when you're... Um, forced yourself to really embrace the idea of being positive and really believing that small things do make a difference. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arahanui, kia koutou, koutou I hope you're all having a best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together, proving to be very rewarding, sustaining. Huge day. A triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, making us better. Thank you. Now, I know that for all of us over the last more than a year, we've had such a challenging time, and it's so important that we're compassionate to ourselves and as we navigate this new reality that we're sharing. And of course, while we are navigating this new shared reality, we're also navigating our own individual realities and this ability that we have to move between the two is so impressive and deserves to be admired and applauded at every turn. As we navigate our individual reality, of course, at times it can feel perhaps that we are not doing 
the things that we would like to be able to do. And here I am, and here's my voice to say, be kind to yourself. Acknowledge that you're doing the best that you can and acknowledge that what you are doing is wonderful. So impressive, is perfect, even if it doesn't feel that way to you. I know that quite often we can compare ourselves to others. We can compare ourselves to notions in our mind, visions of how we'd like this to be for ourselves. We can compare ourselves to an idealized vision of it. And for so many reasons, this is not helpful. Really, everything that we're doing is so brave. Really, everything is so precious. Really, everything is so deserving of love and appreciation because we are doing it. And if we weren't doing it, no one else would be or could be. We are bringing the new into this lucky universe. Lucky us that we can every day. Every day. We are giving life to something new. And only we can do this. And in the process of this, when we bring the new into the world, those around us can appreciate and benefit from it. And they would not be able to without us. So I hope that you feel very proud of everything that you're doing. And I hope that you feel reassured. And I hope that you're unburdened. I hope that you feel enlivened and buoyed up, lifted up, to acknowledge your own work, your own effort. I know for me being part of this show has been immeasurably helpful and I want to thank Sam and the whole Bloomberg and for all of you, thank you. It's wonderful to hear everybody's stories, everybody's journeying together from all over the world. How wonderful that we can share this time and space together. I think that we are mean that we're helping each other, whether consciously or unconsciously, we're helping each other. So I really hope for you today you have the opportunity to take a little bit of a step back and just appreciate all the great work that you're doing. Whether or not it lives up to something in your mind you've created, whether or not you expected to do it or you envisioned that you would do it. Maybe it's this glorious surprise. Maybe you are a glorious surprise in everything that you do. It's something that you can create outside of any parameters. I applaud you. I encourage you. I thank you. I believe in you. Believe in us all. I think this is who we are. This is what we do. I'm so great. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kokite. Tess, um, there is this big wall that sits between our children and the future. And it's a wall of things like that thing your daughter is imagining, sea level rising from climate change. It's the future of work. It's COVID. It's global financial collapse. It's all these things that our kids are constantly being told about. Mm. And they have to find a way to get past all of that to get to some sort of positive future. How mm. do we get them there? How, what do we need to do to get them past that wall? Mm, mm. It's a really good question. Again, I don't think there's one singular thing. Um, it's frightening. My daughter drew a beautiful picture the other day where she had Mother Earth imagining the future, and it was all very bleak, you know. Um, and I think that you describing it as a wall um, really resonates with me. I think the, I mean, I think we have to hold their hands through it. I think sometimes we put too much pressure on young people. I've got a really smart daughter and sometimes I hear, you know, even her grandparents saying, oh, you'll figure it out. And that doesn't seem fair, you know. For me, I think it is about holding them close and, and you know, building resilience for sure. But we don't know what's going to happen. So for me, it's like really teaching love while we can. 
Um, and that, and like I said, that's in lots of different ways. And it might sound kind of odd coming from like a random Pākehā woman in Dunedin, but my daughter is part of the bilingual unit at her school. And it's awesome to be learning te reo, but it's more about seeing a different worldview. And I think for us here in New Zealand, my feeling is, as much as there's global issues to be faced, I want to keep my daughter here, make sure we look after our land and, and live how, um, how we've seen it been done successfully before and come together. And again, that's why I say that like Kai, for example, is number one on my list, because if we can't just all be really gentle and kind um, at home, how do you do anything else? Yeah. I'm a bit of a protective mum in that sense. Yeah, yeah I, I see that and I'm, and I'm much the same in my mumming as well. Um, so when you're talking about teaching love, how do you see that having that sort of impact? Where do you, where do we need to, where do we need the love to be? <laughs> Got you. Well, I mean, I think we need it everywhere. But um, to be frank, I, I, I would like to think that my daughter has some leadership potential in her and I think actually we need the love to be across the board I personally would like quite a lot of political change so that we were you know holding well-being and and aroha at the center of things yeah not just for people like I think that that um crosses over into our environment and stuff as well yeah so if I was the like the the fairy of all things good who could grant one wish to you, what, yeah. would, what would that one thing be that you could do that would change everything? Mm. I'm inclined to wish for a, a benign dictator of some sort to just come and sort it out. <laughs> Because it's so complicated otherwise. It is. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but it's such a hard it's a hard question, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the th <laughs> one of the things that the pandemic has perhaps taught us is that well being is real. The whenever it was the, the government came out with the well-being budget and I think that it got a bit of polite interest of course the sort of academic interest was already there but then pretty quickly it moved the discussion moved on to yeah that's nice to show us where the money is and I think that the pandemic has really said no actually we're going to be managing on the on the basis of well-being yes yeah yeah it has been a big shift big shift and you saw the same, well, we saw the same around the way that some funding was allocated during that time too. But it's an interesting question about whether this is a new normal or it's a response, right? Like, and I think particularly having had the second lockdown in New Zealand now and having Delta come into the picture, it really does start to make everyone perhaps see things less as a crisis situation and more as a how are we going to, do things and I remember even in the first lockdown when I was a kid you know my parents were kind of hippies and the, my dad always said oh maybe the, one day there'll be a revolution and when the first one came along it kind of felt like oh maybe this is an opportunity for change right 
and then I guess we all just got a bit caught up because it was quite intense. And now the second one, I think, oh, what the, what is the change really going to be? Yeah. And certainly, <laughs> it certainly showed us that we could change our society, our economy, if we really wanted to. Yes. Yeah. And I th- is that going to make it easier in the future for people to say, look, see, we can do it? Or is it perhaps going to make it harder because people are going to say, yes, but we spent all the money on the COVID response? We can't change anything for the next 50 years. To be honest, I suspect that it's not so much people saying it's going to be harder because we spent all the money, but I worry that what we have, what we'll end up having is more of a split between the people that say, yes, we've proven we've done this before, versus people that feel really threatened or uncomfortable with the change and want to deal, dig their heels in. And I worry that we end up with more separation than we do unity you know we might have unity on one across some communities but it doesn't mean that it's all united which i don't mean to sound cynical because i do also have real faith in the idea of the team of five million but um just i mean i guess perhaps more globally um yeah makes you sort of see old and new a bit more we've almost seen not quite the same, but in Dunedin recently, we've had a lot of controversy over some changes in our main street. And it's really clear that there's some people that are really um, averse to any kind of change. And then there's sort of some people that just feel like, give it a go, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Tess, I need to squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have Mm -hmm. The Path from Lord's new album. Why this one? Ah, well, like I said earlier, um, I thought maybe something old and something new, and this is quite new. It's Kiwi. Um, I'd never really heard of Lord before, and I heard her interviewed on Radio New Zealand about this album, and I found it really intriguing, and I had a good listen, and I've been thrashing it ever since, like a pop something. But (laughs) this song really resonates with me. It's a really beautiful song, but the message that I kind of get from it is that um, she's written this at a point in her life where she's at, no longer wanting to be in charge. She sort of says in the song, um, you know, if you're looking for a saviour, it's not me, but I hope the sun will show us the path. And I think it's that idea of handing over a little bit that um, you not have, you don't have to be alone figuring out what the plan should be. And so I guess that's why I thought it was relevant to this topic, you know. Um, yeah, sometimes it's not on one person to figure out all the answers. And if it is, it sure won't be. <laughs> Team millionaire 
listening to Blowing Bubbles, we're talking with Tess Trotter. Tess, we've seen lots of change in society over the last year and a half, two years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Uh, well, what I really hope will stick is um, this idea that people have a capacity to change. You can change your um, own situation. You can ch- change something in your community. You can change jobs. People have been restructuring stuff all over the place. And I really hope that we can hang on to that idea and be, you know, flexible and adaptable um, in our own lives, but collectively as well. One of the things that we've seen working in professional practice with people in a whole pile of different fields is that it's been a real opportunity to think about the purpose of what they do. Because Mm -hmm. it's the pandemic and the lockdowns have stopped people from necessarily doing the the thing that they do but they're still having to say what are we trying to achieve here and from that being able to get to what the alternatives are are you seeing that in the sort of community space absolutely yep particularly around how people communicate together um but like here's a little example we have a beautiful sharing pantry um down here on North Road, but when we go into different alert levels, it has to be closed down because of the um, sanitization and whatnot. So um, not long ago, I started a Facebook group called the Valley Exchange. And so people can do it all remotely and they can do it by photos and all that kind of stuff. And it's just gone off, you know, in a way that it wouldn't have before. And it's just a tiny little example, but even just things like people realizing they don't have to travel, they can connect with other people all over the place. You know, we probably wouldn't have gotten to know each other today if, you know, we had to all travel somewhere to meet. Yeah. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the 
the bigger sorts of global things, the things that we were always talking about before, that wall of things, things I'm thinking of things like climate change and social inequity. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the climate issue was so obvious, right? Um, I was just looking or reading somewhere um, a couple of days ago about how much our emissions dropped because of our lockdowns. Like, I've spoken to plenty of people that say they'd be happy to stay at home for a month every year if that was going to be a helpful contribution, you know? What other ways can we contribute than what we've thought of before, I guess? Like, um, it's pretty amazing when you see that kind of stuff just happen like that because we got scared, you know? Um, Why can't we find other motivating fears, I suppose? But do we need, I suppose it's the same question as we've always faced with education for sustainability. To what extent mm. do you need to preload with doom? Do you need to spend the first half yeah. of your talk showing you know, pictures of J-shaped graphs or polar bears on shrinking ice flows? Do you think we can get on with actually making positive change without that that imminent threat? I think, again, this is where it comes down to, I don't want to put it all on young people, but I feel that they are some of the people that have more capacity for that than maybe others. Um, Yeah, I mean, I try to be an optimist, so yes, you know, yeah. (laughs) I really like the approach of transition towns. Is is the valley of transition town? Never mind. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, TV four Yeah, I re- I really like the approach of we don't have to convince anybody to change. We're just getting on with living a better life. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and the more you just see that around you, it becomes just more part of the fabric of everything, right? Like, um, so like for transition towns, a lot of the people that were involved with that in the valley now work out of the valley community workspace which is like a cooperative building where all sorts of awesome stuff happens from electric car conversions to weaving to a community bike workshop. They do 3D printing, but it's all very just get on with and do it. You know, Um, it's certainly not fancy, but it's that idea of just living our best lives. Um, And yeah, so many people cycle down there every day. um, And it's just a great example for other people, right? Yeah. I always kind of had, when I first started doing community work type stuff, which was about 10 years ago, I had this thing where my mum would always get really um, intense with me about climate change. She'd read a lot of information. She'd send me the latest blogs and, and numbers and statistics. And I felt like she wanted me to do something, but I was like, I don't know what to do. you know. <laughs> and so I kind of came up with this idea, well, I'll, I'll do the things that I do at home. And then I can maybe influence, you know, because I've got family around me and friends and then that whole community thing. And it seems so obvious, but it was like a sense of now I'm doing something. Yeah. So, yes, those little things do make a difference, even if it helps you feel like you're making a difference. So your job now, is that about celebrating the differences that people are making in communities around the country? Yeah, because the thing is that often when people are just getting on and doing things, it's not like they have time to like whip up a fancy video or interview a bunch of people and write down the story. I mean, lots of people do take their own records or whatever, but one part of inspiring communities is is just doing that bit of mahi for people to tell other people about it, sharing the knowledge. But it also means for that group, they've got something there that 
kind of helps to tell that story that they can use, whether it's to um, encourage people on the next journey of whatever the plan is or, you know, get the funding that you need because everyone needs to have that and those assets in order to do what you need to do. So kind of taking a bit of a load off, I guess, um, but having one repository where everyone can go and hear an inspiring story if they want to. I suppose it's a bit of a balancing act with people, the ideas coming from the particular community in the particular place with a particular context and learning from what other people are doing. Yeah, definitely. Yep, totally. But I think um, that's when just demonstrating, I guess, different principles or I guess even just showing that sometimes when you undertake something, what you thought you were going to do changes entirely and then that's okay. It's part of the process, you know. Because sometimes it's really easy to find those things as um, barriers rather than just going, okay, well, now we'll try something else or we'll bring someone else on board or we'll um, ask others what they think or it turns out old mate can do such and such that that would be a smarter idea or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. I really like that attitude of, I'll put words to it, reveling in that uncertainty that ambiguity perhaps that if something's coming from this right value base if it's people getting on and enjoying things it doesn't really matter that we don't know exactly what we're trying to achieve and that yeah. stands in stark contrast to me to all of the people who are saying that we absolutely must know the date on which we open the, the trans-tasman bub bubble or whatever ignoring the fact that yeah. you don't know what's going on in terms of a global pandemic but it seems to be that's a whole different mindset it is, I think. Yeah, I think it really is. And um, so I, I remember reading an article about describing sort of the post post COVID or this COVID time as a sort of um, unified, ambiguous grief of uncertainty, right? And so if you can flip that around and, like you say, revel in it, even if it's in quite a small, more insular, at home way, rather than looking across the Tasman or further afield, um, you can just kind of go with the flow, right? And I think in some ways, initially, the way that our government responded sort of demonstrated that a little bit, you know, there was a lot of um, quick decision making anyway. Um, and I remember it sort of made me feel a little bit better, feeling like I had a sense of responsibility in my job but seeing that the Prime Minister was having to make new decisions every day based on what was going on just as much as I was, you know, I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, no one's got this nailed quite yet, you know, yeah, sort of relieving in a way. Um, everybody's, yeah, everybody's, yeah. everybody's winging this and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, there's some really good things about winging it. You'd be amazed what comes up. <sighs> So I have some questions to end the show with, and oops, not very much time, so we shall have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Ooh. To be honest with you, it's probably just changing up my life. Um, yeah, new house and a new job and um, big changes achieved out of, yeah, had to find lots of energy. <laughs> and keeping plants alive lots of plants alive you wouldn't believe it yes <laughs> oh, I would. I moved around a couple of times too 
we're writing a, a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know there's the series of books about um, – it's called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Women or something, Rebel Girls, and it, uh, there's one page per story, and it's 100 influential women, and they all have a wee quote. And my daughter wrote one about me, and she said, kindness first is my quote, so I've kept it. <laughs> <laughs> do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. Why is that? Um, I wouldn't want to not be an activist. I think that I consider myself an activist because I have um, the motivation to use my voice when required to um, stand up for other people. And, and I'm okay with taking on a representative role if people ask me to. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Just the people in my life, really. Yeah. The people in my life, um, the sense of wanting to connect in some way or, or another. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm very lucky to have a whole lot of birds um, here to wake me up to. And what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two? Oh. I think... I've got a couple of things. One is that I'm going to take starting my own business, which is um, pretty huge. But also um, the challenge that I've set for myself is to up my game with Te Reo. And so that's something I'm actually really looking forward to because I've now finally carved out more time in my life to do it. And um, the more I say it to other people, the more it's a real thing. It's <laughs> pretty exciting too. Yeah. <laughs> And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, well, I would suggest carrying on listening to this show because I can tell that you guys have got some amazing um, knowledge to give and, and have a great co-papa. Um, and the other piece of advice I would give is that sometimes every day you only have to do one little thing. Don't worry about all the rest of it, you know. Can, life can be really overwhelming. I just set myself one little challenge sometimes and that's enough. It's okay. You're still doing good. Yeah. Thank you. Mawira. Tess, um, being a storyteller in this time, I think is one of the most important jobs there is. And we're really lucky to have you as a storyteller. And, and it sounds like your daughter too, following in your footsteps. So thank you very much for all the work you do enabling the voice of people who wouldn't have a voice otherwise. We appreciate you. Thanks oh, for joining thank you today. so much. That makes me feel really special. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Oh, the hunger.
safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we broadcast on otago access radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is the lord's I'm Samuel Bann and Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Muera Karatai in Fakatani, And from North East Valley, Dunedin, we've been joined by Tess Trotter. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.